There was a study done. Actually, it was a survey done of people who lived to be 100 years old. And uh, they asked them, you know, what would you do differently if you had it to do over again? And one of the most significant things that they said is they would use their time differently. They would invest in things that would last. They felt they hadn't redeemed the time very well. I thought that was an interesting thing from people who had lived a long time. At least we think that's a long time upon this earth. Last week we began this series called Made, talking about how God has made all of us. He's made all of us as a masterpiece. He's made all of us unique. He's made all of us with certain gifts. We call it shape. Uh, we use that, that term here at Great Oaks as an acrostic, which means God has given us all spiritual gifts. He's given us heart, a passion to do certain things. He's given us abilities. He's given us personality. He's given us experiences. And he doesn't waste any of those. He, all those are made by God, given to us by God, so that we could use those to live our life in a way that would honor and please him, to invest our time in things that are more important than sometimes we invest our, our time in. I don't know about you guys, but this is the way kind of life life gets you. This past week was just an incredibly crazy week for me. Just busy, 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 busy. At the end of the week, you sit down and you ever have one of those weeks, you sit back, you know, you're going to ever have one of those weeks and ever not have one of those weeks. Um, the thing is, is that you sit back and you're going like, what did I do this week that was really important? You ever thought about that? And you sit back and you ask yourself, what have I done really that was really important this week? Because so often what happens in our world is we find ourselves spending all of our time just, just running here to there to everywhere. And what I want to talk about today is one of the things that God tells us to do. He wants us to redeem the time. He wants us to, in a real sense, he wants us to develop a servant's heart that in the midst of the business of life, that we have an attitude like Christ had. Scripture tells us that uh, Christ said, I have come to serve, not to be served, and to give his life for a ransom. He says, I want you to be a follower to be like me. And so that means we're to serve as well. And that's how we were shaped. That's how we were, God made us. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 10 in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third Gospel, the third book of the New Testament in the Bible. In chapter 10, there's a story, and most of you who've been in church any time at all have heard this story, have read this story. If you went in, in kids in Upstreet, you know, we well, weren't in Upstreet when you were a kid because I hate to tell you this, but you're we haven't been around that long. Uh, but the issue is, if you're in Sunday school or you're somewhere when you were a kid, you probably heard this story, you read this story. It's a story that many of us know, but it's a story that we need to go back to from time to time because it tells us so much about the attitude that we need to have in regard to this whole thing of, of what God has made us to be, who he's made us to be. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, uh, it kind of comes in the middle of the story. Uh, a teacher of the law is asking some questions, and then Jesus says this, and it's in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him of his uh, clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. We want to start there today because this story shows us three contrasting attitudes that people have in life, attitudes that you and I can have in life, and we've got to be careful because only one of them is the attitude that Christ has. And so we want to look at that this morning. The guy was basically traveling to, from a place called Jerusalem to another town called Jericho. And he's beaten up. He's bloodied. He's by the side of the road. And we see these three attitudes there this morning. That's going to be the kind of the structure of what we're looking at today. Now, the first attitude we see is this attitude. What's yours is mine. What's yours is mine, and I'll take it. Now, who had that attitude in this story? What's yours is mine, 
and I'll take it. This is not a hard... Robbers, thank you. Y'all are just as sharp as the first service people. Okay. Um, they got that one too. The robbers. The robbers basically... You've got to understand something about this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was about 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And not only that, when we think of that area, don't you think of kind of a dry, arid type place? Well, it was kind of that way, but also there was a huge change in elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is somewhere between, based on where you are in Jerusalem, somewhere between 2,500 to 3,000 feet above sea level. Kind of high up. Jericho, though, was the lowest as far as elevation city in the world. It was 800 feet below sea level. It's near the Dead Sea. I didn't know you could be that low. It's kind of like, I guess, being at the bottom of the Grand Canyon or something like that. But it's, it was, it's huge. So it was almost a 30, taking the average, it was almost 3,300 feet down as you're going down the 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. So it was a long, I'm glad they were going downhill. Going back as a kind of an uphill climb there. But the issue was they were going downhill. It was kind of arid. It was full of boulders and rocks and, and all kind of these formations. And it was a perfect place for people who had this attitude of what's yours is mine, I'll take it, to hide out. And to hide out and waiting for people that were traveling down that road. And, and the story is told, as Jesus tells the story, uh, he says that, that there was a person going down, traveling, we don't know why he was traveling, but going down the road and these robbers who had this attitude mug him, they, uh, they strip him, they leave him for dead along the side of the road. And... And that's the first attitude we have. What is what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. Now, we live in a world where we see that attitude all the time, do we not? We Sadly, turn on TV, read the newspaper. We see that in small ways. I mean, if you've read, there's, there's all kind of crime, all kind of things. But we can see it in large ways. Bernie Madoff. You know who that name is? Yeah, yeah, he's been in the news a lot recently. The biggest Ponzi scheme in history. I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars taken from other people. And when they showed him on TV, there was no signs of remorse in anything about just basically uh, bilking people out of billions of dollars across the world. It's just amazing. His attitude is what's yours is mine. I'll take it. Now, none of us, you know, none of us would put ourselves in the class of Bernie Madoff, right? But in some ways, we can be that way when we have this attitude of, you know, in small ways. I have people a lot of times, and they'll come to me and, you know, and they'll have marital problems. And it's about selfishness. It's what's mine. I'll t- and they, when they get really show it up is when they get ready to really split up. And what happens is, is they get really nasty about the stuff. You know, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. And they go through this really just, just ugliness, and I see that more times than not, sadly enough. And what's that attitude is when we don't respect other people's property, when we, we don't respect other people as human beings. This attitude, if we have this in our life, will lead us down the road to suspicion and guilt and all sorts of difficulties in our life. I heard a story about a brother and a sister that kind of illustrates this whole attitude. What's mine is yours and I'll take it. And what it does to the attitude when we live this out of this attitude. The brother and the little brother and the little sister were having fun one afternoon. And the little girl had a whole bag of candy. And the little boy had a whole bag of marbles. And the boy was in there playing with the marbles. And after a while he got hungry and he thought he looked over to his sister and he thought, Man, I'd love to have that candy. 
And so he begins to, begins to look at her, and, and so he begins the whole process of thinking about what he's going to do. And finally he says to his sister, he says, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll trade you all of my marbles for all of your candy. Well, she said, I have to think about that for a while. So she went off to her room with her bag of candy. And the little boy goes off to his room with his marbles. And finally, they show back up in the other room. Well, while the little girl was off in her room with her bag of candy, she was thinking about this, and finally she decided she would do it. So she puts all of her candy in the bag and goes back to the main room where they've been playing. In the meantime, little boy's in his room. He's been thinking about it too, what he just offered. And he's thinking, you know, if I give her all my marbles, I won't have anything to play with. So he takes five or six marbles out of the bag, puts them under his pillow, goes back out and tells his sister, are you ready to make the deal? Of course, he tells them it's all the marbles. They make the deal. She gets some of his marbles, not knowing that it's just some of his marbles. He gets all of her candy. That night in bed, she sleeps like a baby. No regrets, nothing. You know, she's done everything right. That night, though, the little boy lays there and thinks over and over and over in his mind. He can't sleep. You know what he was thinking about? He was wondering if she really gave him all the candy. See, when we live that kind of life where we are deceitful and we think that what's yours is mine and I'll take it, then what happens is, is we live a life of guilt. We live a life... This little boy wasn't necessarily guilt-ridden. He was just thinking everybody was out to get him. Everybody was doing what he was doing. That's the attitude that, that comes across in life when we have this attitude, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. A second attitude, though, we see in this story is the attitude of this. What's, what's mine is mine and I'll keep it. What's mine is mine and I'll keep it. Now, the the persons that have this attitude in the story is obvious. Who? The two religious leaders, the priest and the Levite. The Levite is a religious leader as well. The priest was kind of on the higher level. He was somebody who was more well-off probably here, and the Levite was somebody a little lower echelon, but still pretty well-off as well. Two religious leaders, two people in the community there who had positions in the religious community. They were like uh, pastors or or people in in high places. You know, the, the priest, they had this kind of information. It says in the story here, that they were both walking down the road individually, and they both passed by the guy that's laying there on the side of the road, the guy that's already been brutalized, and they just passed right by. Now, the interesting thing about this is probably people in the first century, when they heard this story, when Jesus told the story originally to the people he was telling the story to, they probably weren't too surprised that the priest and the Levite passed by. Not because of what you're thinking the reason was, but because of what the culture was like. Because in that day, see, the priest and the Levite, they had all these ritual laws. And if they were to, say, go by, and I don't know the condition, it says he left him for half dead, which probably meant he was knocked out cold, he was laying there, don't know if he's breathing or not. If they'd have gone over and touched him and he'd have been dead... That would have meant that the priest and the Levite, because of their cultural, they would have had to spend a week of ritual cleansings. It wasn't just, you know, because it was against law to touch, uh, against the rituals to touch a corpse. They didn't know if he was dead. So that was one reason some of the people would think, oh, they can't do that because that would mess up their whole schedule for a whole week if he happened to be dead. Secondly, though, there was also rituals not only about corpses but about touching Gentiles, somebody that was different than them. 
same deal. There was all these rituals and rules and regulations that caused them to, to really push themselves away from other people. And so this priest and this Levite, basically, for personal safety, for, you know, probably too, they probably thought, well, maybe this guy's doing the thing that maybe he's trying to lay there, and if people would do that, have one of them lay on the side of the road and act like he was hurt, and then the robbers would rush out. They thought maybe that was an issue too. We don't know the reasoning. It doesn't really say in Scripture. It just simply says they passed by. But their attitude was, by their actions, it shows they had this attitude of what is mine is mine, and I'll keep it. I'll keep to myself. See, they were going by the, the ethical teaching of the day, which people like Socrates and other philosophical leaders said this. They used this. This was the terminology. It says this. This was the teaching they followed. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Now, it sounds very close to something else we know, but it's in the negative. It basically means this. In other words, if you don't want somebody to hurt you, then don't hurt them. Sounds good, right? The problem with that and that neg- negative connotation is, is the statement allows you to withdraw. It allows you to not reach out to people. It allows you to say, okay, I don't want that done to me, so I'm not going to do it to anybody else. That was the ethical teaching. That was belief, the, what people believed. But Jesus comes along and he says something very similar but totally different. In Matthew seven twelve, he says, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, same thing, but in a positive sense. In a real sense, there's this huge chasm between these statements. The positive statement doesn't allow us to withdraw. It puts us in a proactive stance. It says to us, if you can think of a way you'd like a person to treat you, then you proactively treat them that way. You see the difference between the two? Jesus' teaching sounded very close to the same, but it wasn't at all. He was saying, hey, folks, we are to be proactive in regard to how we treat others. We're to, we're to look for opportunities to treat others in a, in, in a positive way. If you want people to tell you the truth, guess what you're to do? You're to tell them the truth first in a relationship. You don't wait for the other person to do it. That's what this is taught. That's what Jesus is saying in regard to how we treat people. Can you imagine if we had that kind of, if people all over the world lived out the words of Jesus known as the golden rule? You could send your kids to the park without worrying about it. Crime, the crime rate would, crime rate would probably plummet and alarm companies would go out of business. But we don't live in that kind of world. Because so often we live, many of us in the world, many people in the world live with this attitude, what is mine is mine, and I'll keep it. I read a story that kind of, I thought it went along with this pretty well, that kind of shows this attitude. It's a story of a husband and a wife. The husband and wife had gone to the doctor. The husband had having all kinds of physical problems. And while they were there sitting in the doctor's office, uh, the doctor comes in and said he had a very difficult diagnosis to d- give with them. Would the wife come into a room? And could, could he talk to the wife first? And so the wife goes into the room with the doctor after the, doctor's, after the examination and everything. He, the doctor says this. He says to the wife, The bad news is your husband only has one week to live. Is there good news? Uh, The good news is 
If you pamper your husband and take care of his every need, a foot massage at night, a shoulder massage in the morning, if you make three square meals a day for him, if you treat him with the same passion and love you treated him with when you were first married, then he could live up to three months. She thanked the doctor for that information, left the room, and as they were walking to the car, the husband being curious said, what did the doctor say to you? She said, the doctor said, you have one week to live. I'm thinking, oh, man, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it, even information, because I want what I want, and it's mine. That's the second attitude we see in this story. But the third attitude is the attitude that Jesus says this is the attitude that Christ has. This is the attitude that we're to have in our lives. And this attitude is this, what's mine is God's, and I'll share it. What's mine is God's, and I'll share it. I mean, when I did the offering a while ago, I say this, but I believe this. The Bible teaches us clearly that we're a steward, a manager of all the things in life. Nothing that we have is ours. It's all a gift from God. God created it in the beginning. He allows us to use it while we're here. And so what God wants us to do is he wants us to have this attitude of what's mine is God, and I'll share it. And it shows up in almost the most unlikely place in the story. And you'll find out more in a moment because when you hear the word Samaritan, it really doesn't ring too much in our lives because we don't live in that culture. But it says this in verse 33, beginning in verse 33 of Luke 10. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. This man lay beside the road. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. He said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus says to the people he's telling his story to, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And one of the persons who was asking stories in the story, was the, he says, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Samaritan, not the religious people, of course not the robber, had the right attitude in the story. The attitude God wants us to have in regard to our relationship. It's the way that God has made us in our core. And that is to understand that what, what, what is... What's mine is God and I'll, God's, and I'll share it. The Samaritan takes him. He pays for a night at a, at a hotel. He uh, gives him the attention he needs, and he says, I'll come back, and I'll take care of any, any other expenses. He makes sure the guy's going to be all right. Now, when the people in that day had heard that story, they would have been shocked that of all the people in the story that was the good guy, it was the Samaritan. Because there was this huge animosity between Jews and Samaritans. It would be like Jesus telling the story to a bunch of Americans. And in the story, you know, he says, you know, we have the, you know, the robbers, whoever they may be. And then we have the Christians who have to walk by, you know, and they didn't do anything. And then we have an Al-Qaeda show up. I'm just giving you the facts here. And that's the good guy in the story. He's the person who comes by the totally unexpected person in the story. That's, that's basically what these people would have thought when they heard Samaritan. There was that much animosity, that much just bitterness between these two groups. And of all people, Jesus says, 
he asked the question of the religious leader, this person at the end, and he says, the teacher of the law, and he says, who was the guy that did the right things? The Samaritan? He didn't want to admit that it possibly could be that person in the story, the person who was the least likely to do what needed to be done. The question is, why would a Samaritan in the story stop? I think ultimately there was only one reason. And the Bible shows this. He had a servant's heart. He had compassion for the person. Have you noticed what the text says? He says he took pity on him, on the guy on the side of the road. He was the only one that took pity on this guy who was there and he had a need. He spent the time necessary to recognize the need and he did something about it. He took pity on him. The Samaritan saw a person that was hurting and he was willing to step out of his comfort zone and give the help that was necessary along the way. The question for you and me is how do we develop a servant's heart? How do we stay in tune with where God has made us to be? Because I believe God has shaped all of us to have this heart of compassion. I believe the problem so often in our life, if you want to admit this, I'll admit this in my life, is we get so busy that we miss out, we, we, we miss out, we don't, we don't see the opportunities that are there, and we just are so busy in our world. I think one of Satan's greatest tools that he uses in our current culture is to give us so many things to do, so many options that we can't make good choices, and then we get too, too busy to really be a brother to someone else, or sister to someone else, to help somebody in need. It's not because we don't want to, it's not because we're not made that way, not wired that way, but we have to do some intentional things to do what God wants to do. Let me give you three things real quickly that, that are things that will help us to, to keep this servant's heart out before us. Number one is we need to be available. We need to be available. Now, the only way we're going to be available is to slow down. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I was, almost didn't make it to church this morning. I really didn't. I was, I was driving when I got up at uh, about uh, 5.30 this morning, took a shower, got left the house at 6.15 or so, decided to go down. I needed a cup of coffee. They don't have coffee here at the church that early because nobody else is here. And so I decided to go to McDonald's in Metamora because it's about the only place you can get a cup of coffee, uh, you know, in this region. And, uh, well, close enough, you know, whatever. So I went, down to, I went down to McDonald's, and so I was driving down there. And when I, by the time I got back this way, uh, it was kind of a weird time. It was kind of a weird time between between um, daybreak and it's still dark, but it was like, it was really bright. The sky was just really bright this morning at about, at about uh, 6.38 when I was driving down. I looked at my clock. And, and it was kind of like starting to get light. It was real clear. You could still see a star here and there. When I was going down the road coming back, you couldn't see the stars anymore because the sun was just not above the horizon yet, but it's starting to, to shine. You know how it just kind of reflects off of things? And as I was coming back this way, the most incredible thing, the clear blue sky, and there was a moon, the moon was still up. And it was, like, it was like huge. It was right over there. And I was coming right back from Metamora, and I was uh, driving down the road. I'm going like, man, that's beautiful. I mean, it's the most gorgeous morning I've ever seen in ages. I almost just wanted to pull off the side of the road and not go to church. Because I'm going, man, I, I, I would have missed that if I hadn't looked up. But I, you know what I had to do? I had to come here and study. So I talked to you guys. You know, I could have, you know, I, I probably could have spent five minutes. I probably wouldn't hurt anything and, and done it. But, you know, sometimes in life we miss things. If I'd have hit my head down and kept, you know, bearing along, going through all the stuff, I would have missed a beautiful morning, a blessing of God. Sometimes in life we miss things because we're not available, because we're so focused on our agenda and not on people. 
What's more important, our agenda or people? People are our agenda, God says in his word. He says, we're to understand that what's mine is God's and I'll share it. And God has given us opportunities. He's given us a heart. He's given us a desire to, 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 to be like Christ. And Christ says, I've come to be a servant. So often we can be so busy at our daily work or at our school or, or in our neighborhood and we're doing all our stuff that we don't see the needs of other people's or people around us. Let's just admit it. And unless we become available and start slowing down enough to look at what's going on around us, we will never have a servant's heart. We may have it, but we'll, we'll stifle it. So be available. Now, when I say that, I need to say something else, though, on top of that, because some of you have a servant's heart fully, and you just have a real tender heart, and every time you see a need, all you want to do is meet it, meet it, meet it, meet it, meet it, meet it, meet it. So you need to be available, but number two, what you need to do is you need to be, exercise some boundaries. Because God wants us to be balanced in life. And as we're available, doesn't mean we're available 24-7. I just have to be real honest with you guys. Sometimes, after some weeks, now you're not going to like this because I'm pastor. I'm supposed to be just totally compassionate and caring. Sometimes I just don't want to put up with some stuff. You know, we believe in honesty here at Great Oaks. You know, after you've had a week where all you've listened to is people who are just, oh, just problem after problem, and, you're, and you just, you know what it's called? It's called compassion fatigue. And you're just worn out. I know some of your counselors here and stuff. And you deal with that. And after a while, you're going like, if I hear one more problem, I'm going to scream. And you know what I have to do when that happens? I have to pull away for a while, for a day or two, and just say, hey, uh, Chris, you take care of this. Dan, you take care of this. Now you, ta-, you know, or somebody. Because you've got to have some balance in life. You have to understand that you have to exercise some boundaries in what you do. A few years ago, I, I, I met a doctor, and it was in Virginia. This guy was a uh, pediatric, how do you, let me try to think. He was a pediatric neurosurgeon. Man, a, a guy who works on kids' brains. And he told me that about 50 to 60% of the kids he worked on didn't make it. Because usually they were in terrible accidents or they had brain tumors or all kinds of issues. And I'm going, how in the world do you balance that? I mean, how do you deal with that? He said, let me tell you how I deal with this. He says, right now I have a four-year period where I'm a neurosurgeon. At the end of that four years, I'm not going to do any surgery for four more years. I'm going to teaching. And he taught at Harvard uh, for four years. He didn't do any surgery. He just taught. He got away from that. He said, then I'll go back and for a few years and I'll teach. I mean, I'll, I'll do surgery. And he said, I have to do that because if I do this all the time, I'll become so burnt out in what I'm doing, I have no, I'm useless. While we need to be available to people, you notice something in the story here? It's interesting in the story of the Good Samaritan. It says that, it says that while he stopped, he, uh, and he stopped and helped the guy, it's interesting what the story says he didn't do. He does a great thing, but he has boundaries. He takes him to an end, but he doesn't let the guy move into his house. He um, pays for a few days' expenses, but he doesn't give him a blank check. See, there's boundaries in how we help people. We need to be smart in how we do it. God gives us a brain as well. And he wants us to be available to people, but he also wants us to have balance in how we do that. Because we can make people codependent upon us if we do the wrong things. I've seen people do that. 
Sometimes we have to say no to some really good things so we can say yes to something better in our lives, and then we have to have balance in what we do. If we don't, we'll burn out and we'll be useless. So number one, if you want to have a servant's heart, you've got to be available. But at the same time, you need to exercise boundaries. But number three, you have to serve intentionally. You have to serve intentionally. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25 about a group of people whom God praises. And in the story it says, when I, uh, God in the story says, the king in the story says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I needed clothes, you clothed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And when I was sick, you reached out to me. And the people in the, that are listening to this story are scratching their heads and going like, when did we do that for God? Because they said, God's invisible. How do we, how do, we do that for God? In verse 40 of Matthew 25, it says this, The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers you did for me. He's saying that we need to intentionally and systematically intentionally serve others. And we need to do it because when we do that, we're serving God. You know, the most amazing thing to me, the coolest thing in the world is this, is to think about why you're doing what you're doing. I, I, we Sometimes in staff meetings, I ask, I ask our staff, I say, what is it? Tell me some stories. What's going on? Where do you, where do you see some victories? It's good to talk about victories because it's so easy to talk about defeats. Where do you see some really good things going on? And, and Dan, who's our children's pastor, he'll tell lots of stories. And he told me about, you know, a, a couple of years ago and back in Upstreet, he had a mom come to him. And she mentioned how her inter, entire family started getting excited on Saturday nights to come to church. She said it wasn't always that way. She said, what happened is my kids started coming to Upstreet, and they were so excited about it. Matter of fact, one of them, she said, gets up every Sunday morning and is dressed and ready to go before anybody else gets up. See, that's how excited they are to come to grow Upstreet. And I'm going, wow. And she said, that, that, and she said that, that excitement, that enthusiasm was contagious, and now all of us get excited about coming to Great Oaks. Not only the kids, but the mom and dad as well. And you know why? It's all because of Dan, Right? No, Dan wasn't telling that story because he said it's because of all the volunteers who come over and, and they spend all the hours preparing, doing the worship and preparing the stories and preparing the environment and doing all the stuff that needs to be done back in Upstreet for those kids to get excited about coming and learning about Jesus. And if you'll ask the volunteers back there, you'll ask them, well, why, why are you doing it? Well, because I, I love kids. I want to serve kids. But you know who they're serving? First of all, they're serving God. The, the, the greeters at the door, you, those of you who are greeters, those of you who are doing anything in this building on Sunday morning, you're first of all, before anything else, when you do what you do, you're serving God. Because it says in Scripture, when you've done it to anybody, you've done it for Him in His name. God has wired us to be that kind of person. What is mine is God's, and I'll share it. My challenge when I look at all of this and see what Scripture has to say is this, is to say that, you know, what would happen if the entire region around here, if, if, if everybody who, the hundreds of people who come to Great Oaks on a Sunday morning, and we have, you know, a very transient group, you guys are in and out, and, you know, and one week we have see some of you, and some other week see others of you, and I, that kind of disturbs me sometimes, but just frustration but uh the issue is is that we have something here and when i thought if everybody if everybody who comes and calls great oaks home who, who attends here would would develop a servant's heart and would let that heart be the the prominent thing in their life what if everybody did that what if we all had the attitude of 
what's mine is God's and I'll share it. And we not only had it here, but we had it in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, in our schools, with our neighbors. And we spent the time necessary to be available. And to check the boundaries in our life and to serve intentionally. What if all of us would do that? What would it make a difference in Germantown Hills and Metamora and Washington and Eureka and East Peoria and Peoria and any place else you live? You think it would make a difference? Man. We make a, God, through us, would make a huge impact on our neighborhoods. You see, God has made us. He has shaped us on purpose. He has given us a heart like Jesus Christ, and we have to nurture that heart, allow that heart to to control our lives. We have to learn to be available and slow down enough to be available. We have to learn to to, to look and limit boundaries and do it in a strategic way, and we have to intentionally find ways of serving. We offer some here, but at the same time, folks, in the neighborhoods where you live and, and wherever you happen to be, those are the places you can serve as well. It doesn't happen just here in this church. This is just a starting place. This is just a training ground. You know what I'd love to hear, you know, uh, in a few weeks? Is going to staff meeting and say, hey, what new stories have you heard? And, and staff will tell me, hey, this person told me this story about service and what God did through that. And this person told me this story. And this person told me, change lives. Helping people take their next step towards God is what we're all about here at Great Oaks. And it begins when we have a servant's heart. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.